and my name is Kaseho, uh, as Reino said, and I have the privilege of serving the body of Christ through Fellowship City. Uh, and in particular this morning, I have the privilege of opening God's word um, as we continue in our series, um, Things That Jesus Never Said. So we know God speaks, Jesus speaks, the Spirit speaks, the Bible speaks. And through this series, we have come to look at statements that you, Fellowship City, sent to us that you wanted to know more about whether Jesus really said that. So in this series, we've interrogated those statements. We have come to understand what Jesus actually said. And today we are in part five. So just a bit of a look back or a recap of where we have come from and where we are this morning. So in part one, we looked at God won't give you more than you can handle. We came to see that the statement is not true. We came to understand that we may face challenges that are more than we can handle. But there is hope. There is a great hope. And there is also God's grace, which is sufficient for us. And that is what we saw. We saw that God's grace is sufficient for us. And we can call out to him. In part two, we looked at God wants you happy. Reino unpacked this for us. And through the scriptures, we realized or we came to understand that Jesus is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Part three, it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, also, we realized or came to understand that it does matter what you believe, that it does matter what you believe. That was followed as well by it doesn't matter what you do. Similar titles, but one what you believe and one what you do. And we came to understand that it does matter what you do. Through the scriptures, we saw that it matters. And that is part of who we are as a, as a, a gospel-centered church. We always look at the scriptures. Part five, do good unto others and they will do good to you. So this is what we're looking at this morning. We're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to see what God actually said. We're going to use a geography that I'm going to lay out for us. Um, but if you missed any of the sermons, feel free to catch them on YouTube. You can search for Fellowship City and you'll find all the sermons there. But before we grapple with the text this morning, let me pray for us and ask God to help us as we get into his word. Lord, we thank you for a wonderful morning where we get to sing songs of praise and worship to you, where we get to hear from your word. We pray that this morning, that by your spirit, that you would speak to us, that by your spirit, that you would challenge us, that you would teach, train, and correct us through your words. Pray for any distractions this morning. I pray against them. I pray that uh, even if there's things that we're thinking of, things that we still need to do, that those distractions will not stop us from hearing from you. I pray that as I speak, that there would be clarity of thought and speech and that your people would hear your words, your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
do good unto others and they will do good to you. This is what we're looking at this morning. And this is another statement that is used by many. And there also exists many slight variations of the same statement. Do good, do to others that you want done to yourself. Do to others as you would have them do to you or even give as you shall receive. Just to mention a few. These are all generally used in the same manner and mean the same thing. So as we cover this title um, this morning, do good unto others as they will do good to you. As we cover this, we're speaking into those similar variations as I have mentioned. So this is our geography this morning. Uh, It is the same geography that we've used since the first episode of our season. We're going to first try to understand where the statement comes from. So we're gonna look at the scriptures. We're gonna look at the Bible and see where this has been seen. Then we're gonna dissect the statement. We're gonna help us understand the different parts of the statement. Also to make sure that we have the same idea about the words that make up or not make up the statement. That's the second point. The third one, we're gonna look at a few practical examples that help us better understand the statement from the Bible. And then in conclusion, understand what God really said and what that means for us. What do we do with that? That's our geography. So as we, as we begin, we're gonna, we're gonna first look at where the statement comes from. Before I do, I, I do also wanna say that this is a, as I said, it's a very commonly used statement. Some of us have used it to encourage and maybe correct people around or onto a particular path. Many references regard this statement as what is also known as the golden rule. So many times when you hear the statement, it would be referred to as a golden rule. Such a statement we would have heard also in many a pulpit or many Christian conversations. Again, trying to encourage behavior or build a particular ethical muscle. So as we read the scriptures, we may see, or we may believe we see this statement. And we may believe that Jesus said it, but I ask you to to let's move together through the scriptures and really understand whether God did say this. So don't check out when you see it, but let's grapple with it and understand using the four points that I mentioned to dissect or to understand where it comes from, to dissect, uh, to, to look at what it means and the conclusion. So stick with me as we move through these four points. Matthew 7, verse 12, which Chanel read for us. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So part A of verse 12 um, sounds similar or very close to do to others that which you want done to yourself or do good unto others and they will do good unto you. So it sounds very similar to the statement that we're looking at. Matthew 7, verse 12. In fact, I would say that this is identical. And I think it is a good place for us to start. It seems like Jesus is saying the statement. It seems like he's saying it. However, I think this is a great case of better understanding the context and also the intention of the author when reading the Bible. It is easy to read the scripture and say, yes, 
Jesus does say it. Or that at the heart of the statement or the heart of the text that Jesus is saying, give and you shall receive. This is e it's easy to move to that finish or that end point. This should not be how we read God's word, though. We should not lightly gloss over it. We should not pick, claim, and name what we see. Let's take a short side road. So C.S. Lewis, a well-known writer and theologian, speaks into seeing and seeking the author's intention in his book, An Experiment in Criticism. In his book, C.S. Lewis attempts to distinguish how good and bad readers interpret books. He then makes an argument for being as receptive as we can and yielding to the text when we're reading. I quote, in the same spirit that the author wrote. So C.S. Lewis is basically saying, after you've enjoyed what you have read, why not reread? Why not reread this time, looking up the hard words, grappling with the illusions and discovering the nuggets that you might have missed during the first read due to fortunate mispronunciations or the nuggets that still lie in wait for you in the text so that you can better understand the author's letter, the author's work. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Why not reread? Why not grapple with the words once you've read it and enjoyed it the first time? Why not meditate on it? I would even say he's saying, do unto authors as you would have others do unto you. That may be too soon. So let's, let's keep going with our text. So what C.S. Lewis says about how we should approach reading is a great way to approach the scriptures, even in our quiet times when we're reading God's word. So let's enjoy the words of Jesus, who is the author and inspires Matthew in his writing. Let's remember that the Bible's authority uh, lies in the author, his intention, and not our presumptions. So we have found where this text is commonly extracted from. So we've seen that do good unto others as you would want them to do good unto you comes specifically from Matthew 7 verse 12. So we found where this is being extracted from the Bible. So let's dissect the chapter as a whole and understand where verse 12 lies in the whole picture. So Matthew chapter 7 is one of the chapters that forms part of the greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount which was Jesus preaching to his disciples and the crowd that was following him. In the sermon, Jesus is teaching about God's law, teaching in parables, and teaching ethics of the kingdom. His teaching seems to be upside down, upside down thinking in the ethics of the kingdom. And it, and it seems would shock the audience as they engage in with him. I encourage you to read chapters five and five to seven, if you have not read the greatest sermon. So those are the three things that underpin where chapter seven is located. God's law, countercultural teaching, or countercultural teaching through parables, and teaching ethics of the kingdom. These are the three things that underpin where this is found. So then the main audience being the disciples and the crowd who are following him, um, would know that Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture related to God's law in Matthew 7 verse 12. So they would know this. So Matthew 7 verse 12, Jesus is referring to Leviticus 19 verse 18. So scholars and Bible translators have added 
a heading that underpins this chapter. If you are using a, a Bible or a digital device, you will see the heading as various laws uh, just to help us understand the section. So that's what scholars and Bible translators have done to add this heading. But verse 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge among, against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is Jesus quoting this passage in Matthew 7 verse 12. He's using this passage in Matthew 7 verse 12. And we see this very same sentiment that we've just read in Leviticus also in Matthew or the latter part of Matthew. So Matthew 22 verse 34 to 40 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is surrounded by weighty statements. This passage alone could be preached over two sermons, but I'm going to try and sum it up as we use this passage as a practical example to better understand Matthew 7 verse 12. So we will be using Matthew 7 verse 12 and Matthew 22, uh, 34 to 40 to grapple with whether, this, whether Jesus said the statement and what does, that mean, what does that mean. So verse 36 of Matthew chapter 22 says, the Pharisees question Jesus and Jesus answered them using Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. That's what, he, that's what he did. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, and he adds his own words to say there are two commandments that are the greatest. Love God, love your neighbor. Verse 40 then says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus already answered the Pharisees. He gave them what is the greatest command. But he doesn't stop at that answer. He continues to highlight the importance of the two commandments, which he's quoting in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But what does it mean that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments? It's a great question. Thanks for asking. I think Jesus wants us to stop and ponder. He wants us to spend more than a quick gloss over the scripture. When we consider Matthew 7 verse 12, part B, we see how similar this is to Matthew 22. Jesus also mentions the law and the prophets. Jesus says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Just a small side note, Jesus seems to not mention in Matthew 7 verse 12, he does not mention, doesn't seem to mention the first and greatest commandment which is there in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And it's quoted from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. 
So some people, because Jesus doesn't seem to explicitly mention this, have taken Matthew 7, 22, and see that as Jesus being an ethics teacher, because his teaching seems void of dependence on God or a relationship with God. This is also because in part B of, of verse 12, he mentions sum up the law and prophets. So, so they take the statement and say that religion sums up the law and the prophets. And again, this is a prime example of reading and not respecting the author and understanding the intention of the author. It's not appreciating the author's work by, read, by reading, rereading, and not missing nuggets of gold. And we must be careful to not be like that. So taking Matthew 7 verse 12 and saying Jesus said, do good unto others and they will do good unto you, ignores the author's intention and it minimizes the great things that Jesus said about God in the Bible. It minimizes the amazing things that Jesus said about himself. In, for instance, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus came as man to give his life as a ransom for many. Christina sang about this now. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay for mine and your sin, to redeem the relationship we were made to have with God and with one another. So we can't fix this broken relationship due to sin. He pays that ransom for us. We were made to have a relationship with God and one another. Also, not understanding the author's intention ignores the immediate context of Matthew 7 verse 12. So not understanding the author's intention ignores the immediate context of Matthew 7 verse 12. And here's the context. So verse 12 starts with therefore. Starts with therefore. So Matthew 7 verse 12 depends on what came before it. So what sums up the law and the prophets is Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 and what came before it. So let's understand what came before it. Verse 1 in chapter 7 starts with, do not judge or you too will be judged. This is chapter 7 verse 1. Verse 2 speaks as well about judgment belonging to God and not to man. Verse 3 is a metaphor that speaks about people having the tendency to criticize details of others' lives while they also have flaws. So this is Jesus showing the heart. He's showing what is wrong and then he answers it. Jesus said, ask, seek and knock because he's a loving father. He gives us good things when we ask him. In fact, this is starting to seem much like Matthew 22. God is upholding Matthew 7 verse 12 by his fatherly provision, by his love for us and our trusting, prayerful love back to him is a source of power here. It is the first and greatest commandment in Matthew 7, which we just saw in Matthew 22. He enables us to love him, like he says in Deuteronomy. So we ought to ask him to help us. So what we have just seen is that even though it seems like Jesus did not mention the first and greatest commandment like we see in Matthew 22, that indeed he did. 
he did mention the first and greatest commandment. Matthew 7, 1 to 11 indicates that we cannot do Matthew 7, verse 12 without this. It indicates that we cannot do Matthew 7, verse 12 without it, without God's fatherly provision in enabling us to love him. So we cannot love others. He is our loving father who is so generous, who is, who is loving, like we sang when Christina was reading us. God essentially bookends the statement, do good unto others and they will do good to you. He starts with the so and therefore, and that's what comes before. So what comes before that bookend speaks about loving God and God enabling us to love him. It speaks about the greatest commandment. And then the latter part starts with four. Four in this context requires action. It requires creativity and ongoing love toward the people in our lives. It requires sacrificial living, thoughtful living, selflessness. It is important to note that Matthew 22 verse 40 says, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And because they hang on these two commandments, it seems to be the reason why they're explicitly mentioned. However, Matthew 7, 12 says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In other versions, it fulfills the law and the prophets. So what comes before essentially speaks into the law and prophets, which is love God and do good unto others. So Jesus could have just said, loving God is the fulfillment of the law and prophets, but that's not what he says. Because he is a loving God, is made visible and manifest in our practical sacrificial love of others. Loving God is invisible to the world. Loving God is invisible to the world. In loving others, we make the love of God visible. In loving God, we make the love of God visible. And that is why both those statements exist. That is why summing up the law and the prophets is not only loving God, but it's loving God and doing good unto others. Romans 13 verse 8 to 10 mentions, love your neighbor as the fulfillment of the law and does not mention in the same sense the first commandment, but much the same as we just saw in Matthew 7. If you understand the context, if you read a little before, if you understand the author's intention, you will see that loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is the visible expression and manifestation of what the Old Testament was about. So our love for God is fulfilled when we love others. Without the understanding of what comes before Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and the last part of Matthew 7, verse 12, this passage becomes legalistic becomes legalistic and as I mentioned some people don't understand the context and the whole Bible story easily perceive the statement to be void of a relationship with God. We have just seen that it has the relationship with God at the center that it includes the first and greatest commandment. The first commandment makes the second one doable. Love of God and him enabling us to love him makes doing good to our neighbors doable. Without the first commandment, the second commandment is suicide to our own happiness. It is suicide to our own happiness because 
the love of God enables us to do the second part, which is doing good to others. So we have unpacked in some detail where the statement is found. We have understood the context of where the statement is found. We have understood what came before it and what came after it. We have also come to understand and unpack similar passages in the Bible that better help us understand the context and the essence of this passage. So let us quickly look in detail at the statement itself. The statement itself and unpack the words of the statement and the sentiment. Then we can understand what Jesus was actually saying here. Matthew 12, Matthew 7 verse 12 says, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. Let's consider what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus isn't saying, whatever others have done for you, do also for them. Jesus is not saying, whatever others have done for you, do also for them. Because that would limit what we can do. We would first need others to do something for us, for them to do also. It limits our imagination and our design. One of the distinctive marks of Jesus' followers is that they regularly, regularly go over, above, and beyond what others expect. That's why he's not saying that. Jesus also isn't saying, if there are a few things you wish others would do to you, do these also for them. Jesus is not saying, if there are a few things you wish others would do to you, do these also. He doesn't limit our good deeds. He says, in everything, or in other translation, whatever. It's very, it's very broad. It may include cutting a neighbor's grass, inviting a friend who doesn't have many people around them for lunch, helping a friend with some running repairs on the house, babysitting so that a married couple can have some time away, driving someone going in for a procedure or a family to the airport. The limit is essentially our desire and our imagination. And that's why Jesus isn't saying that. Whatever, Jesus is also not saying, lastly, Jesus is also not saying, whatever you wish your best friends, fellow Christians, and people who like you, do to you, do also to them. He says others. This means anyone in our lives. It means the grumpy neighbor, the person no one speaks to, the person you are struggling to understand. Also, the person who doesn't love you back, who may have lied to you. Jesus is saying everyone. And this is overwhelming evidence that Jesus did not say do good unto others and they will do good unto you. And that there's a greater context. There's an intention that the author had when he added this line there. And if that context, if that intention is not considered when the statement is used, then this statement is used incorrectly. This statement in and of itself speaks about the intention of doing things being based on doing something to get something back. If you remove the context in which it exists, if you remove what's come before and after it, if you just say do good unto others and they will do good unto you, 
this statement becomes doing something to get something back. It becomes based on paying it forward or planting seeds so you can reap, giving only so you can receive. The statement in and of itself is void of a relationship with God. But that's not what Jesus said because there is that context, there is that greater context. I would say Jesus said in context, depend and love God. Depend and love God with a restored vertical and horizontal relationship because of the ransom paid by Jesus. He said because of this dependence on God, because of love of God and because of what Jesus did, you are able to do good over and above in a radically different way to everyone to show them the love, grace, provision, and mercy you have received from God. Basically have an unselfish concern and sacrificial love for everyone. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So if we've asked God to enable us to love him, if we understand the context in which the statement exists, then we also will do good. Not so we can receive back, not so that it's prosecuted, but that so that it's only to give or bring glory to the Father in heaven. If we do this, then the world will see Christ. But then we're not doing things, or we're not doing it so that we can receive, but we're doing it that because we've already been given by God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 to 6 reads, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Love God with all your heart here means finding satisfaction in God that fills up your heart. Satisfaction in God that fills up your heart. Love God with all your soul means finding in God, meaning that's so rich and deep that it fills all the corners of your soul. Love God with all your strength means the physical aspects of our lives should demonstrate our love of him. Our actions should reflect. Using our time, our talents, and our treasures would reflect the love of God. This again is also similar to Matthew 22, which includes loving the Lord your God with all your mind as well. Mind here referring to finding the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that satisfy the mind. Practically, this means spending time praying and asking God to help us love him, to help us love others. Asking God to help us be outward focused and to give of ourselves sacrificially with a generous heart. We see it in Matthew 7. 
Jesus says we must ask from him. He's a good and loving father and he will give to us. He says we must ask from him. This is again speaking into the first and greatest commandment. Jesus says we must ask and he shall give to us. It also means practically hearing from God through his word. This is the primary way we hear from God. This is the primary way God speaks to us. It means read it once, read it twice, grapple with the metaphors, enjoy it. It means savoring it like a stew. A slow-cooked lamb or beef stew, you eat the first serving. And because it's so good, you don't stop. Because it's so good, you don't stop. You, with each bite, you're tasting different flavors and aromas that you might not have picked up first. You might have missed those aromas, those flavors, when you first had it. And then you're appreciating how they come together. You're appreciating how the different aromas and flavors are coming together. Then you suck the bones and grapple with them to remove every piece of meat and flavor, including sucking a bone. Much like a stew, it's also better enjoyed while breaking bread with others and sharing with people. So that you can talk about how good it tastes and the different flavor profiles that you find in there. So it speaks about not only praying and asking God to help you to love him and love others, but taking practical steps to do that, practical steps to enable them. It means inviting people over, doing life, life on life with others. It means being in community. And sometimes you might not feel like it. Sometimes you may have a kitchen full of dishes. You may have shoes under the table. You may have boxes from the move not yet unpacked. But don't let this stop you from being in each other's space. You can't do good and love your neighbor if you don't create the space to love and know your neighbor. You can't do good and love your neighbor if you don't create the space to love and know your neighbor. Jesus calls us to do this, calls us to love and serve one another, to show the world Jesus, sacrificially, without thought, to receive back. Sacrificially, without thought, to receive back. Our doing good should be to show the world Jesus. And in turn, others will see this. Others will see us do good to one another because of the love of God. And we'll come to God. We'll come to find out why are these people so different. And because of the gospel, they too will do good. And you too will have good done to you, but not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done. He's generous. He's loving and kind to us. He enables us if we ask him. Let us remember the four in verse 12, which calls us to action as well. Not only praying that he would enable us to love him and to love others, but taking the action that's required for us to build that muscle. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can see what you have said in your word. We thank you for the first and the second greatest commandments to love God and to love one another. We thank you that the statement that, that we spoke about 
do good unto others and they will do good unto you. That we can see through your word is not what you said. That there's a greater context that which speaks about loving God. And we can only do so if we know you, we read our word, if we cry out to you to enable us to love you. And in turn, then we're able to love others. I pray that you didn't remind us that as we do good to others, as we do life in community, that we're not doing it to receive back. I pray that we may find the joy in doing good to others so that the world may see you and not with intention to receive, for that's not what you're saying in your word. I pray that you would continue to speak to us, challenge us, show us where we need to change and be more and more like Christ. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.